So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up. Hebrews chapter 12, we're looking at verses 1 to 13 this morning. Jesus Christ died on the cross, as we sang in that song, right? Died on the cross so that you could be blessed. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for you so you don't have to suffer. Jesus Christ gave up his comfort so that you can be comfortable. Jesus Christ endured the hardest of experiences so you don't have to experience any hardships. Jesus Christ endured trouble so you can have a trouble-free life. Jesus Christ endured the worst of struggles so you can be a soft, spiritual couch potato. Right? No? (laughs) Well, that's what a lot of American Christianity teaches. And it infects all of us to some extent. Because it's so attractive. It's so American. Oh, how we'd like it to be true. And oh, how often we live as if it were true. And so we avoid suffering and trouble. We insulate ourselves against it. And when we face struggle, we complain about it bitterly. And we pray for ourselves and we pray for one another like crazy that the trouble would go away. I remember talking to a a Filipino Christian once. And they said the difference between the way you Americans pray and the way we Filipinos pray is when there's trouble, you pray that the trouble would be taken away quickly. And we pray that we have strong backs to stand up and endure in the midst of the trouble. Well, the Bible is firmly on the side of the Filipinos on this one. It says that when we do have to endure hardship, we should consider it as God treating us as his children And that we should respect him for it and submit to it. As a kid, I remember having a a friend. I was maybe in junior high, maybe fifth grade. And this friend's mother was probably still in her 20s. And she was fun. She was great. She let him go where he wanted. She let him stay up as late as he wanted. She let him eat whatever he wanted. One time I stayed overnight with him, and we stayed up till 2 in the morning watching TV and eating candy and potato chips. It was awesome. And I thought, I want her to be my mom. (laughs) No rules, no boundaries, no parenting. Do you remember when you were a child and your parents disciplined you? I'm not talking about abuse or harsh, controlling parenting. I'm not talking about uh, tragic cases where parents are cruel, where they're, they're violent or spiteful, and if that was your experience, I'm so sorry. What I'm talking about, though, are average parents who do their best to set boundaries and to deliver consequences, albeit sometimes imperfectly, when those boundaries are disobeyed by their children. 
And sometimes as, as kids, or especially as teens, we aren't happy about that parenting, are we? That discipline. We feel resentful sometimes. We feel they're being unreasonable. Did, did you ever think about running away? However seriously, even for a moment? Better to be on my own than have to put up with this, right? <laughs> Better to be an orphan than to live under the unreasonable rules and, and the oppression of my parents. Well, that's how some of us feel spiritually about God's parenting. When we want God not to discipline us, not to let us go through hard times. We think maybe it would be better to just stay clear of God, to, to live as spiritual orphans, so to speak, so we don't get disciplined. And this is the situation that today's passage is speaking into. So let's take a look and dig into it. We're just now at the end of the Hall of Heroes in Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith that we looked at over the previous few weeks. We heard stories of all these great men and women of the, the Bible who were heroes of faith. And their examples were meant to encourage us, to challenge us, to be people of faith too. And now that the author of Hebrews concludes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and these witnesses are the heroes of faith we just looked at, they're not witnesses in terms of them being spectators, as if they're witnessing us and our lives, but rather they're witnesses to us by their lives and by their examples. The lives that, that they lived, lives of faith, and that God was faithful to them in return. Their examples and their lives testify to us of how people of faith are to live. And so the author of Hebrews has just highlighted a, a number of examples from this great cloud of heroes. And now Hebrews is going to give us one more example, one more hero of the faith, the final greatest hero, who's also an example for us to follow. We just sang about it. Jesus Christ himself. And so in response, we say, so will I. Jesus, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We've seen this word pioneer in Hebrews before. It can also be translated trailblazer, founding father, champion, the one who goes before us, who sets the ultimate example for us. He's also the perfecter, the finisher, the one who has completed the race and won the race. And so we look up to him. Jesus didn't sacrifice his life and suffer so we don't have to. No, he suffered as an example for us to follow. What did he say when he called his, his early followers? He said, if anyone would be my disciple, they must take up their cross and follow me. They must lose their life like me to find it. You see, we are in a spiritual marathon. That's the theme in this passage. Did you notice how many times the word endure is repeated in this passage? Verse 1, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, our champion Jesus endured the cross. 
Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Endure, 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 endure. We're in an endurance race. We're in a marathon. Let me ask you, is your spiritual life or in your spiritual life, your own spiritual life, which is closer to the truth? Are you training for a marathon or are you a spiritual couch potato? Well, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you have signed up for an endurance race. So let's look at what this passage exhorts us to do about that. Right in verse 1, it exhorts us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, with endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I was a track runner in high school. I ran the distance events, the endurance races. And when you run a race like that, actually any race, you, you take off your heavy sweats, even in the cold weather when it's time to get up to the line for the race. And you wear the lightest shoes possible. I often ran without socks. You don't want anything weighing you down, making it any harder than it has to be. <laughs> so that you can more easily run with endurance, the race marked out for you. Also, what a lot of runners will do, maybe you saw this if you watched the Summer Olympics, they will pace themselves off of a more experienced champion runner that's in the pack. They will fix their eyes on the back of the lead runner or a champion runner, and then they will just will themselves to keep up with that person, hoping that if they can keep up and run the race the way that person runs the race, by the time they get to the end, they'll still have enough left in the tank to sprint for the finish line. Is that how you live your Christian life? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's running and who has run ahead of you. Are you serious about your Christian walk? Do you strip away anything that's holding you back? The silly habits, the time and the money wasters, the temptations and the sins that distract you, that discourage you, that trip you up and knock you off course. Throw them off, the author of Hebrews says. They'll only weigh you down and trip you up. And when things get hard, when things get tough spiritually, if you haven't been training and if you're weighed down, you may not have the stamina to endure. Fix your eyes also on Jesus, the greatest hero of faith of them all. He endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. Like so many of the other heroes of faith we saw back in chapter 11, Jesus had his eyes on what he couldn't see, on a future hope that God had promised him. That if Jesus endured the cross and the suffering, he would experience life and victory and reward on the other side of that suffering. And Jesus did. 
God exalted him and seated him at God's right hand where he now enjoys nothing but joy. Fix your eyes on him. Follow his example, the author of Hebrews exhorts us. Jesus will teach you by his example how to run this race. He's gone ahead of you, setting the pace, setting the course, teaching you how to run the race of faith. Verse 3. Consider him, contemplate him, think about him, ponder him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Him who, in the face of opposition, maintained his course, didn't waver, didn't turn aside, didn't give up. He endured. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because the life of faith is an endurance race. It's not just about how you start. It's about how you finish. And if you finish. You know, I've been thinking about this lately because I I started my Christian life like a sprint out of the blocks. I I became a follower of Jesus in college. And I was part of a, a warm, vibrant fellowship. I had amazing friends and mentors who encouraged me to be passionate about Jesus. I was so enthusiastic. I was so committed as a a 19-year-old. I wanted to follow Jesus 100%. I wanted to give my life completely to Jesus and to his purposes. It was all so new and so exciting. Jesus was amazing. I wanted everyone to know about him. But that was before I realized how long and hard the race would be. How lonely it sometimes is. And through what rough terrain it sometimes leads. The idea of running a marathon is one thing, but the experience of actually running it is quite another, right? And so I've experienced getting discouraged. My passion has grown cold at times. My commitment has wavered. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed by God, by God's people along the way. And sometimes it feels like my pace is more like a limp than like a sprint. And I have to ask myself, am I going to finish well? Am I going to cross the finish line strong? That's what gets remembered in a race, right? How you cross the finish line. I have to remind myself of the the lesson that Bruce Springsteen taught us in his classic song, Glory Days. That we can't just wistfully live now on the memories of the past glory days. The past is in the past. Today is a new day and we've got to find a way to live our best life now. Because God isn't going to evaluate the race I've run just by how I began it and the passion and the commitment I had at first. No, God's going to look at the whole race and especially at whether and how I finish the race. The life of faith is a marathon, not a sprint. Listen to verse 4. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
the author of Hebrews is addressing this to, to his or her first hearers. They're, they're, they've struggled. They've persevered through a lot already. If you remember back to chapter 10, verse 32, the author reminded them, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured, there's that word again, in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. The author of Hebrews is saying, you have endured in in the struggle before. You have um, entered into it. You have endured suffering. But thus far, it hasn't gotten so hard for you that you've had to die for your faith. You haven't yet been called upon to make the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus like Jesus made for you. Incidentally, this line leads many scholars to suggest a date for the book of Hebrews, a date it may have been written. Assuming it was written to the house churches in Rome, we know from history that they faced persecution under Emperor Claudius. In 41 AD, Claudius persecuted and expelled all the Jews, including the Jewish Christians, from Rome. They were then later able to return in 54, and they lived in relative peace for a time. Until the reign of terror by Emperor Nero in the late 60s. At that time under Nero, many Christians were rounded up, They were fed to the lions in the arena. They were burned alive as human torches in some of Nero's outdoor garden parties. So when Hebrews warns you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, it's an ominous foreshadowing, maybe written in the early 60s, that things may well get worse. And they're already getting rough again, for the original hearers of Hebrews. That's why Hebrews was written. To encourage these followers of Jesus in the face of mounting pressure and persecution not to give up on Jesus. To hang in there. To be faithful. And the author of Hebrews knows how necessary this is because even tougher times are ahead. So question... How should we as Christians think about these sorts of difficult times if or when we face them? Maybe some of us today are afraid of tougher times, of persecution to come, as we see what's happening in our nation. And as uh, Paul DeVries put it last year, the velvet persecution we've already experienced. And our instinct is to do everything we can to make sure this won't happen to us. And so we fight tooth and nail against our enemies, our political enemies, our ideological enemies. We fear that they'll take away our freedoms and persecute us for not going along with their agenda. And we resent them for opposing us, for trying to take away our easy spiritual couch potato existence that we've enjoyed for so long. And we think we're standing up for our faith or for our country that we love. 
Well, ironically, the Bible we claim is the source of our truth actually points us in a very different direction. Verse 7, it tells us simply, endure hardship as discipline. Realize that you have a good father who has not lost control of the world and who, because he loves his children, disciplines them by allowing hardships and struggles into their lives, even to the point of their being required to shed their blood for Jesus. Now, discipline can mean a couple things. It can mean punishment. It can also mean training and correction. And it's this second meaning that seems to be the emphasis here, training and correction. Remember, we're training for a marathon, for an endurance race. And our Father wants us to finish it, so we win the prize at the end, the joy at the end. And so we need training, we need discipline. We need to not be couch potatoes, but disciplined athletes. And the author of Hebrews is saying, the hardships you endure are part of that training. Many of you probably saw back during the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Simone Biles surprised the world by stepping out of most of the gymnastics events that she was favored to win. And this enabled some other U.S. gymnasts and other gymnasts to step forward and to shine. And one of them was Jade Carey. You may remember she won the gold medal in the floor exercises for the U.S. And one of the unique things about Jade is that her coach is her father. Now, to be an Olympic gymnast means putting in approximately 10,000 hours of training to get to that elite level. And many of these gymnasts are competing in their teens. So think about how quickly they had to put in those hours. That generally means training 30 to 40 hours each week. Now, you can imagine being a child, being a teenager, and on top of school and homework, you're heading to the gym often twice a day for three to four hour workouts, even on weekends. Can you imagine the training, the discipline, the workouts, the weight training, the endurance exercises? If you look online, you can find Jade's brutal ab workout, and you might want to try it. <laughs> I haven't tried it. And some days I'm sure if you're Jade, you whine and you complain, right? You're a kid. Or she was. She's, I think, 20-ish now. And you want to rest. You want to be with your friends who are going to a movie, who are having fun. But your coach, in this case your dad, has to tell you to go to the gym for another hard workout. Come on, keep at it. Press through. You're training to be a champion. Jade's dad isn't making her do this, putting her through pain, putting her through hardship because he doesn't love her. Rather, and here Hebrews applies this to all of us, verse 7. What children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, 
then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Those who had fathers anyway. This is how the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to look at the hardships that we face. And this um, addresses a huge, profound existential question that we all have. Why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and tragedy in the world? And the author of Hebrews doesn't by any means give us a full answer. But he or she does give us who follow Jesus the way that God wants us to think about it, at least so far as our own lives go. Let me summarize it. Hardship and suffering are caused by sin in the world, but God our Father uses them to train us. Let me say that again. Hardship and suffering are caused by sin in the world, but God our Father uses them to train us. Why do we suffer? Because there's sin in the world. Because we live in a world where people go their own way instead of God's way. They make their own choices. And if we're seeking to go God's way, then we're going to be swimming against the tide of the way the world is going. And we're going to bump up against trouble and opposition and persecution in the process. Verse 3 again, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. And verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We suffer, we experience hardship because of sin, because the world is broken. It's turned against God. And if we follow God's way, we'll bump up against all this all the more. And so it's tempting to go with the flow, to float downstream in order to minimize the struggle. No, the author of Hebrews says, to follow Jesus is to struggle against sin and against the tide of the world. It's not to be a couch potato. It's to be a marathon runner. Going against the tide with endurance. Why do we suffer and face hardship? Because of the sin in the world and because as followers of Jesus, we're struggling against that sin. But there's more. God, as a loving father, actually uses that suffering and that hardship to train us and to discipline us so we are better able to complete the race. Just like Jade Carey's father. Our father is also our coach who loves us who wants us to run well so we finish well and so we win the prize at the end and get to share in the joy. And so the author of Hebrews says, view the hardships you face as discipline, as training to help you run better. As a kid, I wished I had a mom like my friend's mom who let me do whatever I wanted. She was okay if we watched TV all night, if we drank soda and we ate potato chips. But now I see that the way my own parents parented was much better. 
because they weren't raising me to be a couch potato. They were disciplining me so that I would become a person of character. Yes, it was unpleasant at the time, sometimes painful. But it's the only way we grow. In fact, if you give in to the desire that I occasionally had as a kid to escape my parents' discipline, if I had run away from my parents, what would I be? I would be an orphan. Parentless. And orphans, if they're out on their own, they don't get disciplined. They don't have parents to tell them what to do and what not to do. And back in the first century, in that time and culture, Hebrews alludes to this when Hebrews was written, often illegitimate children didn't get parented either, especially by their fathers who often took little, little interest in them. Is that what you want? Is that who you want to be? The author of Hebrews is asking. To be a fatherless couch potato, a spiritual orphan, unknown and unloved by your father in heaven. And so, do you want to be someone not raised right or not raised at all? No, better to have a good father, a father who loves you, even though with that fathering comes training and loving discipline. And so what is God our Father's goal for us? What's his vision for us? What is he training us for? It's something better, believe it or not, than a gold medal in gymnastics at the Olympics. Verse 10. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And verse 11. For our Father's discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. For those who have been trained by it. That's what hardship will produce in our lives if we endure it as the Father's training. A harvest of righteousness and peace. God's training through hardship as we persevere will actually produce in us a life characterized by peace and by righteousness. You know, speaking of fathers who discipline their children, my father exemplified this harvest well. He died at about 60 years of age of cancer, sadly. But when he died, he was not afraid. He didn't have many regrets. He was at peace with God, and he was at peace within himself. He knew he was going to a much better place. And though he was super smart and had a great work ethic, he didn't die successful um, career-wise or wealthy particularly because he hadn't run after those things. He was content with his life and he was surrounded by people who loved him and admired him because he wasn't selfish but was giving and loving and considerate. And so he had an impact on a lot of people. He was a person of character. He was a righteous person. Not perfect, but a person of character. A person who through the hardships of life had learned not to be selfish, not to be spoiled, or to have to have things his way. 
And so he could look behind, beyond himself and he could seek to be a blessing to others, and he was. He wasn't perfect, like I said, by any means, but he wasn't a spiritual couch potato either. He was a marathon runner, and he finished his race well. Because God had disciplined him. God had trained him through hard things that he went through. And God, like a good father, had used those hard things, those sufferings of his life, to accomplish this. That's how God works. That's what Hebrews tells us. God, our Father, wants to make his beloved children like his firstborn son, Jesus. And God uses the struggles and the sufferings of this life to do it if we persevere and if we endure. And so in conclusion, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, runners, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Fix your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race he has marked out for you. A race that leads us through hardship and suffering, but leads to peace, to joy, to righteousness, to victory in the end. Let's pray. God, so many of your children all around the world know what we're reading about and talking about this morning. They know it well. They live it every day. For us, in many ways, it's a hard word because we've had it so easy. And there's something in our heart which rails against it. I pray that we would pick up the sweetness and the love and the bigger vision that you as a father have for us. And that we would learn to embrace the life, the race you cause, call us to run so that we may be like your son, Jesus, and share the joy that in the end he shares. Amen.